Welcome to The Just Pod, a podcast by the Criminal Justice Section of the ABA, the unified voice of criminal justice. Welcome to this episode of The Just Pod. Today, we are joined by two familiar guests. They have joined us before. We have the Honorable Ernestine Gray and the Honorable Denise Langford Morris. So let me first say welcome to both of you. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. (laughs) And then let me also share the background of both of these women. So... Honorable Ernestine Gray is a recently retired judge of the Orleans Parish Juvenile Court, co-chair of the ABA CJS Juvenile Justice Committee and member of the Juvenile Justice Standards Task Force and chair-elect of the Judicial Division of the ABA. And then we also have the Honorable Denise Langford Morris, currently the Oakland County Circuit Court Judge and also serving as the Secretary of the National State Trial Judges Conference uh, of the Judicial Division as well within the ABA, and then also serving as the Co-Executive Director of the ABA CGS Equal Justice Division. And then also serving on our CGS Council and as a task force member of the Women in Criminal Justice Task Force. Yes. Yeah, important to include both those. Yes, keeps very busy. So both of these judges are joining us here today to discuss the historic appointment of Honorable Katanji Brown Jackson's nomination to the Supreme Court, the first Black woman to be appointed to the Supreme Court, a historic moment that we're all very excited about. And so to begin, I'd like to invite the both of you to share what it means to you as fellow women of the bench and also as Black women to have this appointment. And I'm going to defer to Judge Gray, our chair-elect of the Judicial Division. Judge Gray? Oh, Denise, you have to stop deferring to me. (laughs) You know, it's almost like you get chills thinking about the significance of this moment. But when you think about it, I'm reminded of Ruth Bader Ginsburg when, you know, she was being interviewed and asked about going on the Supreme Court. One of the things she said was, you know, when will we have nine women? (laughs) a radical thought. Could we ever have nine Blacks, nine Black women, nine white women? Could we ever have all women? But it is a historical moment, and it's significant to me because I believe it says to young women, those who are coming along now and those yet to come, that this is a dream that you can have, and it can be realized. And so setting out before young women, young girls, the possibility. I remember when I went to law school, I left high school thinking I was going to be a lawyer and I didn't really know any lawyers, but I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And I think it's easier if you see someone doing what you want to do for you to follow that road, because then you have a role model. And so I think this is absolutely really important for young people today. I agree wholeheartedly. Judge, I couldn't have said it better. The dream of having a Black woman on the United States Supreme Court is finally going to come to fruition. 
And those of us from the time we became lawyers and judges and even as little girls, just looking at the U.S. Supreme Court, which in my opinion is the most powerful of our branches of government. The Supreme Court weighs in on so many important matters, and there are a lot of pending cases that will come before our newest Black woman on the U.S. Supreme Court, including all the issues surrounding dark money, gerrymandering, voting rights, women's rights, and of course, something near and dear to our hearts, criminal justice. And so we know that Judge Katanji Brown Jackson will bring with her, her background, her experiences as a black woman, as a young child and growing up. And of course she is extremely qualified for that court. We know that she has all of the credentials. She's exceptional, she's brilliant, she's experienced, And so she is extremely well qualified. So we can't wait for her to take that position over. Yeah. And did you think that you would see this happen in your lifetime when you were just beginning? Both of you are quite experienced at this point. And so when you began your careers, did you think that you would see this moment? I mean, it's probably changed at some point in time. You probably grew to expect that, but just curious when you were beginning Well, you know, over time, I think we slowly began to think it was possible. But if you remember when Clarence Thomas was nominated, there was quite a bit of pushback. And the pushback was not just from whites. There were some African-Americans, Blacks, who had concerns about his record and, you know, what kind of justice he would be. And I think, you know, of course, people have that about everyone who's being considered. But I think there is almost night and day differences between the record and the background of Justice Thomas and Judge Katanji Brown. And so I think she is going to bring a perspective, diversity of ideas and backgrounds and experiences that none of the other justices have. That obviously does not mean she is going to be able to sway all the decisions and they would reflect her personal views. But I do think it is important to have her there so that she can put in the discussion, be a part of the discussion, a perspective that I think here today hasn't been considered. And so, yeah, I just really think, you know, if I thought about it, I guess as we elected the first African-American president, I guess I began to think it was more likely possible. Quite honestly, I didn't know that it would be this soon after we had the first Black president. Well, I will say this. I think as a little girl, I probably dreamed about it, but I didn't realize how you became a U.S. Supreme Court justice. So as I got older in college and certainly in law school, I saw how difficult it would be to really you know, make it through that kind of obstacle path and become seated as a U.S. Supreme Court justice. And I thought that when President Obama was in office, quite frankly, I thought there was a possibility that we might get an African-American woman. And we know that he did appoint Justice Sonia Sotomayor, and we are so happy to have her on the U.S. Supreme Court. But we also are happy that President Biden is going to appoint the first black woman 
And quite frankly, for me, having run statewide here in Michigan in 2010, I'm the first African-American or Black woman to ever be nominated by a party to get on the ballot. And that's the way we do things in Michigan, to get on the ballot statewide. I'm the first one, and I was nominated by the Michigan Democratic Party and was on the ballot in November of 2010. Now, of course, I didn't win, else I'd be speaking to you as a Michigan Supreme Court justice. However, we have never had a Black woman on the Michigan Supreme Court. And it was my dream in 2010. And of course, now we're going to have one on the U.S. Supreme Court. And I never thought that that would be possible before we got one on the Michigan Supreme Court. So it just goes to show you there are many, many states that have Black women on their Supreme Courts and have had them in the past, many Southern states but Michigan has never had one. So I have talked about this at different speaking engagements and how I hope before I die, I get to see a Black woman, not only on the U.S. Supreme Court, but also on the Michigan Supreme Court. So I'm still holding out for that. It won't be me, but I mentor a lot of young women, lawyers and judges, and try to help them to move forward as much as possible. One of my mentees is getting appointed. Well, she just got appointed and she'll take office here at the Michigan Court of Appeals on April 1st. And my very dear friend who passed away in August, she was the first Black woman on the Court of Appeals. So we are behind here in Michigan, but I'm glad to see that the governor is keeping it going and she did appoint one of my little mentees who's going to go to the Court of Appeals. And one day, maybe we'll get her or someone else on the Michigan Supreme Court. Denise, it's funny you mentioned that. So we are now with our second African-American woman on the Louisiana Supreme Court, which is really exciting. But there are a couple of things that you mentioned that I want to follow up on. I think the importance of you know this nomination and Judge Brown Jacks getting to the Supreme Court, I think is, in addition to saying it can be done, it provides an opportunity for other women to think about running, being elected, getting appointed to judgeships. And so, you know, it's important for you and me and the others of us who are out there to be the role models for the young people who are coming along. And I want to make a point of, I think that one of the things we do is we maybe wait too late to start to talk to young people about considering the careers in the legal arena, being a judge, being a lawyer. You know, we focus a lot on college and law school, but honestly, I think the conversations need to happen a lot sooner than that. And for a lot of reasons, I mean, our young people are being caught up in many, many systems. And so to have them understand how the court is supposed to work, what is the function of the court, I think is really important. And it helps to build a citizenry that understands, hopefully, what the court is about, the power of the court, the role of the court vis-a-vis the executive and legislative branches. I think that we do still need to recognize that there are some impediments. If there were not, we would probably would have had this conversation a lot earlier in our lives, but there are still impediments to Blacks getting to the Supreme Court. So, you know, generally they come from the federal trial court. So there are not a lot of Blacks in the federal trial court. So our challenge is to figure out, I think, how we encourage young people who are in law school 
to one, seek clerkships because that's a road to getting to where you need to be in terms of being considered for partnership in a law firm. And so being judicial law clerks, I think we need to talk to young people about that. We need to figure out how we work with law firms in order for them to understand their obligation to bring along and make partners of African-American women in particular as partners and lead counsel in their law firms. And so there's still work to do, but I think this moment in time provides for all of us the motivation and the belief that it all can be done and it's not all for naught. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have to work to help our young people. I say, Judge, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We could start at first grade (laughs) because it's never too early. We have to help our young people to know that they need to stay out of trouble. They have to keep their records clean in order to become lawyers and judges and at any level, much less the U.S. Supreme Court. But they certainly have to ensure that they try to go to good schools, get good grades, stay off of social media, doing things that could come back to haunt them. And there are so many things that we have to share with our young people because we do have a lot of relatives that need our help. And so I tell people, they laugh at me, but I say, you know, I am the first judge in my family And, you know, they always reach out to me when they need legal help, medical help, whatever they need. And I'm the richest one in my family and I'm broke. And so the bottom line is, you know, how are you going to really help? Because running for judge is a very expensive task and to be appointed takes political connections. So all of that, you don't just wake up one day and get those connections. You've got to plan and plot it out through a very grueling path, and only our best have been considered. And I just thank President Biden. He really looked at a long list of qualified people, including your predecessor, Judge Gray, Judge J. Michelle Childs, and of course, Justice Kruger from California. And then we have had so many others that were under consideration. And so, you know, we have to just kind of really, really stay positive and help all of those that come behind us. You know, Sherilyn Eiffel was in Justice Thurgood Marshall's footsteps there at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson will be the former criminal defense lawyer. She has a wealth of support from law enforcement, past chiefs. Her father was in law enforcement, uh, uncle rather. I think maybe two uncles were in law enforcement. I mean, there really is that kind of support that helps you to get to the point where you can have a magnificent appointment like this. So thank you both for sharing that. I confess you're both being a little bit more humble than I hoped that you would be. I was hoping you would share. I mean, Judge Gray, you've recently retired. Judge Langford Morris, you're talking about retiring in your not too distant future. You've been some of those women that others have looked up to that have helped them get where they're going. And I I just wonder what that means to you to see this moment. Well, I am, to the extent I've been able to be a role model and supporter for other lawyers and Black women, I am thankful for the opportunity. 
And, you know, I hope I've done the right thing by them. One of the things that was important to me when I was first elected in 1984 in New Orleans, we were going through a period where we were really trying to increase the number of African-Americans on the courts in the state. And we worked really hard to get people qualified to run and then support them in their elections. And I had the good fortune of being elected the first time I ran. And Denise is right, it's not cheap. And so, you know, there is that part of it. But one of the things that I vowed to do was to use my position wherever I could to help other, particularly Black women lawyers, get their foot in the door for running to be a judge, being considered for appointment. And so at the time when I ran as a judge, I could ask the Supreme Court to appoint a lawyer to sit in my court when I was on vacation or if I became ill. And I always request for an African-American woman, a few men, but mostly women, who have all, as I think about it, who have all gone on to become judges. And actually, one of them is now the second woman on the Louisiana Supreme Court. And so, yeah, I'm really proud of that work because I do think, like I said, I think it's really important. And I have asked all of them to continue to do it. And all of them are really active in the New Orleans community and engage a lot with young people in in schools around the city. Well, Emily, I would say that, you know, I certainly know that I'm really old now. I've been on the bench. It'll be 30 years August 3rd, and I have 42 years of public service. I'm a former assistant United States attorney, civil division, former prosecutor in my county, former child protective services investigator, and adult protective services. I did that for almost seven years as a master degree social worker. So for me, I have constantly tried to look for those to take my place. And I'm proud to say that on my bench, although I'm the first African-American to ever serve, I'm in the suburbs of Detroit, born and raised in Detroit, but I'm in the suburbs. I was the first ever elected countywide, initially appointed by the governor. And I have been joined by three other black judges, one retired last year. So right now there are three of us on a bench of about 21 judges. And so I have constantly been looking out for particularly young women for all the reasons I talked about earlier. I think it's harder for women. We've had five black men on the Michigan Supreme Court and not one black woman. We've had two black men on the U.S. Supreme Court and not one black woman. We've had many, many white women and tons of white men on all courts. And so it really is a feat, as we've talked about, to actually achieve. And so I know that every day, no matter where I'm at, whether I'm on the bench or off the bench, we are all role models, contrary to what Charles Barkley said, whether you want to be a role model or not, whoever's looking at you, it's amazing how young people can meet you and then they can think, oh, wow, she's a judge. I can become a judge too. And that's the way we're looking at justice Katanji Brown Jackson, I'm claiming it. She's going to be there soon and she will pave the way, hopefully, for more Black women to join her 
on that U.S. Supreme Court, we don't know. They're talking about maybe expanding the number of justices, but we certainly want the opportunity to have more of our people and not just limited to Black people. We know that there are many, many other ethnicities that have not been represented on these courts. And so we're going to be working as Black people to help and as Black judges, certainly, because we're judges for all. We represent very diverse communities, Judge Gray and I, and we've done that for many, many years. She's recently retired. I want to be just like her as soon as possible. (laughs) And so we're doing our best, though. And even in retirement, we will constantly give back and be looking for those that can become judges. I'm always looking for a judge. Well, thank you for that. Now, you've both touched on this already, but let me just ask it again so that you have a chance to speak to it directly and focus on it. Let's talk about why this representation matters and what the potential impact is on the highest court and just as the criminal justice system as a whole. So I think the representation matters. One of the things that we are suffering from, I think, in the country is a there's a lot of disillusion about courts and whether or not even in courts, people can have their fair day. And I think that the more the makeup of the justices look like the population of the United States, I think it creates some opportunities for people to feel like I can get a fair shot. And so I think it's critically important for sending that message. I think it's important because again, The outcomes of the decisions, I think, will be much better when you have a diversity of opinions and perspectives. And, you know, they can debate and talk about. So what I think about an issue is going to be influenced by where I was raised, how I was raised, where I went to school, all those kinds of things. But in the end, everybody brings that and they discuss it and then they come to some conclusion. So I think the process is going to be richer based on the fact that Judge Brown Jackson is going to be there. I believe that, and I think she will have a lot to offer. I can't wait to see the first opinion that she authors. And, you know, in criminal justice, where we hang our hats on really having a hope for greater fairness to people and protecting the due process rights of people. And so I think that for criminal justice, I believe based on her background, that we're going to see a difference in what comes out of the court. And I couldn't have said it better. She will bring a wealth of diversity to the bench. And not only that, in the backroom deliberations, she'll be able to share her life experiences. We know that it's been public, that she has had a relative that had some criminal justice issues that she helped that relative. She's, of course, been a public defender and served on the district court, and she's listened to cases involving criminal justice already. So she has that experience. But in those backroom deliberations, she'll be able to share her experiences as a Black woman. We all know and we talk about how when we go in a grocery store or CVS or wherever we are, We know that we might be watched as to what we're purchasing. We're careful about holding things out from us because there's just a different level of scrutiny. And we know that. And she'll be able to share the things that she has been involved in as a human being on this earth her entire life as a Black woman. And that is really 
you can't buy that kind of experience and exposure that she can share with her colleagues in the back room after hearing arguments that talk about criminal justice. You know, we know all of the reasons why criminal justice is at the forefront. George Floyd and the whole list of people that have been subjected to brutal treatment here in America. And we know that we're better than this. So we're looking forward to Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson improving and bringing, like Judge Gray said, fairness and justice to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah. Thank you both, again, for sharing those insights with us and your experience. Uh, it's so wonderful to be able to share this moment with you in some small way. And we really value your contributions to the criminal justice section. And I'm sure you know, and certainly hear such things. So I feel confident in being able to say, I'm confident that there are many women out there that are grateful to the both of you for your part in leading up to this historic moment. So thank you to both of you for joining us on this episode, this special moment in history. Thank you. Thank you, Emily, for pulling this together. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. Once again, this is the Honorable Ernestine Gray, recently retired judge of the Orleans Parish of the Juvenile Court, co-chair of the ABA CJS Juvenile Justice Committee and member of the Juvenile Justice Standards Task Force and chair-elect of the Judicial Division, so good things to come, and Honorable Denise Lingford Morris, Oakland County Circuit Court Judge and Secretary of the National State Trial Judges Conference at the Judicial Division within the ABA. So thank you again. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Just Pod.